welcome back to this series of podcasts looking at the connection between music and nature. My name is Jonathan James and this time I'm delighted to be joined by Molly Holman, whom I first knew as a music teacher. But I can tell you she trained as an artist and is an absolutely fantastic photographer and I've just been able to look at this wonderful portfolio of images uh, on her website which will be mark my words next to this podcast i've looked at those images and they are absolutely stunning welcome molly holman thank you very much john it's a pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to have this chat and this time our theme is the sun and the moon and i thought it would be interesting just to ask you about the moon side of things because i would imagine that's a path slightly less trod, is it, by photographers? Oh yes, I definitely think so. There's a great um, interest in doing astrophotography, which is sort of capturing the Milky Way and the Northern Lights, but the moon less so, although um, the supermoon and the blood moon always get people out and about if they're photographers when that comes up in the press. They all rush out uh, for the harvest or the blood, or the super. <laughs> I think I think we should just amplify those terms. Blood moon, I think we're probably all okay with that 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 reddish tint to the moon. What about the other two, the super and the harvest? Well, the super is when it's um, because of the angle of the earth. I think it's just slightly closer, so it appears bigger in the sky. And the harvest is, I think, quite similar to to uh, blood moon because it's just at autumn time, and I think there's uh, dust in the air mainly Ooh. from harvesting, that actually creates that orange tint to, to its colour. And as a photographer, as someone who writes with light, I love that description of photography, that, that literal translation. What is it that draws you to moonlight in particular? Um, rather than actually just looking at the moon itself, it's the way that it plays over a landscape. And I always am far more fascinated by the, the way the light falls onto the landscape um, more than I am just the moon in itself. Although obviously that is quite entrancing and it's kind of always fun to zoom in and, and do a close-up shot of the moon to see the craters. But yeah, it's how with a pastoral scene, with hills, how the light falls um, and trying to capture that to get over the atmosphere that you see and experience when you're standing in that scene. Is part of the attraction you're seeing perhaps a familiar scene but just lit in a new way? Yes, I think so. And there are places near me where the hills do roll a little and I sort of mentally check them in my mind so that I can perhaps revisit them on a full moon um, and try and capture that spirit. And when we think of that landscape being captured in a new way, softly lit... Is there a particular musical sound world that comes to mind for you as a as a musician? Um, gosh, yes, there are many, um, the obvious and the unobvious. Music-wise, th there are many. Um, Claire de Lune, obviously, would spring to mind first. Uh, Rosolka's, uh, I like Song to the Moon by um, Vorjak from Rosolka is, is also a nice one. That's another classic, isn't it? You mentioned Claire de Lune. Perhaps let's just have a listen to that. It is such a classic uh, of its kind, uh, a nocturne in its way.
simple thirds drifting across the top register of the piano here. Debussy is wonderful at capturing the stillness of this world, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. It's a very romantic scene, isn't it? What does it conjure in your mind's eye as a visual artist? Um, for me, this is definitely a country landscape. I, I don't hear any sort of city connotations with this one. And I hear, I do hear clouds sort of drifting. I don't necessarily see a completely clear sky. Um, but the moon quite low, perhaps, and probably a full moon. <laughs> I agree. There's something very strong about the yes. light here. It's, it's very bright in its way. You mentioned clouds. And when we talk of Debussy, there's something very deliberately cloudy about his style, uh, deliberately blurring the edges, none more so than nuage, which means clouds and is a nocturne written, I believe, originally for piano and violin. I would have loved to have heard that version written for Zai, uh, the virtuosic violinist. Um, there's something about this writing that begs for a violin solo, but instead we get an interesting solo colour, which is the coronglay. Why do you think he chose the coronglay? Oh, well, I love it to uh, represent the night, um, the night sky rather than the day sky. I think all the sonorities are quite dark and rich um, and it definitely doesn't feel daytime at all. Um, although with a violin, it might be different. There'd be a different shine to the sound, certainly. We can be grateful, though, he turned to this full orchestral version which apparently cost him a lot of time and sweat. He felt he had to match the benchmark he'd set with Prelude à l'après-midi d'Enfant. Uh -huh. Another beautiful piece. So here we're hearing the strings evoking drifting clouds. That's something about photography, isn't it? That it's hard to capture a sense of motion and mobility or am I wrong about that? Um, no, it is, and I think you need, you can capture moving clouds, but you leave your camera open with the shutter open for about 30 seconds, and they sort of blur. It's a very beautiful effect, actually, and you can do it with water and the sea as well, which, again, is another interest of most photographers and of these composers, I have to say, particularly Debussy with La Mer. Um, but yes, it blurs the clouds, so they're like a streak across the sky. Um, but otherwise, yes, it's a stationary picture for, for a photographer, whereas Debussy is what he's capturing here as, as real movement with these recurring ostinato melodies. Absolutely, it's just turning on itself, isn't it? I mean, actually, maybe I'm imposing my own image of the sky onto Debussy's music because there is great clarity here as well isn't there there's a translucency there's a very transparent quality to the writing what do you think despite all the ambiguity it lifts out and you can definitely see the moon coming from behind the clouds and I think because he wrote it for um um his vision of the Seine at night and he sees sort of boats passing down the Seine it has perhaps more of a city feel to it as well. 
Do you know, I'm never going to listen to this piece in the same way again. Thank you so much, Molly. That's great. Now, I mentioned the word nocturne before as a genre, a character piece for piano. And many of our listeners will know that John Field, the Irish composer, was the first really to use that in a consistent way as a title for his character pieces for piano. And he was referring not just to a nocturnal world, but more one of light and shade and he did it so successfully now i'm going to put you on the spot if i may molly and ask you (laughs) whether um this particular nocturne that i'm playing now number nine in e minor reminds you of another moonlit piano piece (laughs) rather given the game away oh okay I just jump forward at this stage to about a minute in, you'll hear a very deliberate rhythmic reference. It's that dotted rhythm. Yes, I mean, the triplets in the left hand shout Moonlight Sonata, even at the very beginning, but that dotted rhythm there is is fairly I think. It is. We don't know whether John Field was actually referencing Beethoven and his first movement of the Moonlight Sonata at that stage, but there's a remarkable resemblance there going on. Yes. Yes. And uh, yes, absolutely beautiful example of that genre taken up by Frédéric Chopin, no less, in his 21 Nocturnes as well. I've picked this one in C-sharp minor, which I feel is a beautifully dark key centre in in and of itself. What do you think? Oh, yes. There's a Rachmaninoff prelude in C-sharp minor, isn't there? And that's gorgeously dark. It's gorgeously dark, absolutely. (laughs) And here we hear this twilight world between the minor, the E natural, and the major, the E sharp. So we're deliberately drifting between two worlds here. In all of these examples, I feel there is a, a quiet passion that underlies them, right from the Debussy through to the Chopin. Is that something that you feel comes across in works of arts that have to do with the moon as well? Um, yeah, I think so. That For me, Chopin's melodies, they have such clarity. You'll hear the left hand doing its thing underneath perhaps representing the landscape, but the the moon's melody on the top is just so clear. And um, I think when we see art featuring the moon, we're looking for that sort of light, just just to be so atmospheric. Absolutely, and the typical, even stereotypical image of Chopin, isn't it, is him playing by candlelight and that candle being snuffed and him continuing to play nevertheless into the night. Yes. Very romantic image and it goes well with this kind of music. So let's turn to the sunshine now and I would love to ask you as a photographer, there's so many hats that you wear Molly, <laughs> so just to be clear, <laughs> as a photographer, 
what are you looking for in the states of sunshine when you take your photos? Well, all of the photography that I do, which varies from um, flowers and garden photography to landscapes and portraiture, to, to be something that really takes your eye, the light has to really feature in, in, in quite a way with the composition. And I think that's how you would transform an average photo into a brilliant one. Um, I think for me with, with sunsets the go-to would be um, Turner because Turner's uh, sunsets are so well known but also he lived um, in Margate which is very near to me. I live in East Kent and I see the skies, I see the Turner sunsets that he painted um, quite regularly so it's hard not really hard to not rush out with a camera and, and photograph these extraordinary sunsets they're always better in the autumn interestingly sunsets usually wow. um, but I've already seen some very colorful ones so far this year but there are other artists such as Monet um, whose haystacks um, at sunset also very beautiful but again sometimes the sun doesn't feature as such it's all about the light and the sky and the color um, and even with Turner's there's only sometimes just a gentle impression of the sun rather than a, 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 a ball of light hanging in the sky. Well I'd like to take you to a different part of the world now because we've already listened to some French composers. Um, I'm going to go to Denmark and in fact we're going to do a Danish-Greek crossover here <laughs> because uh, this is a wonderfully evocative overture by Carl Nielsen, the Danish composer. And he was holidaying on the Aegean in Greece when he wrote this Helios Overture. It starts with stillness and he does a marvellous orchestral crescendo. And the bit I want to draw your attention to, Molly, is this passage about four, four minutes in. And we have the entire horn section blazing out. kind of sun you see in Kent? Wow, it's very strident isn't it? It's very very bright but then I've been to Greece and when the sun comes up it comes up and it comes up across the sea quite a lot of the time. It's so majestic isn't it and yes, as if to underline yes. that we're about to hear some trumpets fanfaring now. Yeah, there's no debating uh, how royal the sun is in that setting. And not an English sunrise, I have to say, but, it, but it's nice to have some contrast. Well, Molly, thanks so much for taking us through those various insights into your world as a photographer, but also allowing us to dip in 
to the music of sun and moon in the process. It's been wonderful speaking to you and I look forward to seeing more of your absolutely glorious photos. Where can we see those apart from online? Are there any exhibitions happening for you? Um, not at the moment because of <laughs> the current situation. Of course. I, um, I, won- I was a finalist in the Royal Horticultural Society's uh, photographic competition this year and that was supposed to exhibit in April, but then that was postponed to next year. Um, but I'm in the portfolio section for that and I'm hoping it'll happen next April. Great. Well, we'll cross our fingers for you. But until then, Molly Holman, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom.